Hello there, staring in awe at the red rubies on the trees and in the bins. It's me, Michelle Cortens. So much hard work has led you to this point, and I wish you all great returns. Now, for today's Orchard Outlook episode, you're going to want to store this information. Literally, use it in the storage room. From the moment of picking fruit, they're destined to deteriorate, but not on the watch of storage room operators. Post-harvest storage is otherworldly, with its frigid temperatures and low oxygen conditions. To complement, our guest speaker's knowledge is out of this world from a career-long passion for post-harvest storage. He shares information on the relationship between temperature, moisture, and gases on storage quality. He's done a deep dive into the research to summarize and draw conclusions. Now, let's welcome our guest, Dr. Robert Prang, who is also familiar as our friend, Bob. Hello, Bob. Hello there. You're a familiar name um, in the world of post-harvest storage, and you're based right here out of Nova Scotia. So I, I want to know, um, you know, what kind of positions have you held and, and generally what has been the focus of your work over time? Just in a general way, uh, more or less, I had two parts to my career. The first part was actually at the um, agricultural faculty of Dalhousie over in Truro, where I was a professor and head of, uh, at that time, plant science. And in 1987, I uh, took uh, my interest in post-harvest and uh, moved to the Federal Research Center in Kenfield here in the Annapolis Valley and uh, worked on a lot of fruits, a lot of vegetables, uh, but my um, heart was really in the apples and pears long-term and CA storage. Since my retirement, I've really been collecting a lot of papers over the decades and um, trying to summarize it because I keep getting questions as a consultant and I found I'm repeating myself. So I ended up trying to summarize it. So um, I've learned a few things in that summary. So that's my focus these days. Yeah. So uh, if we could go back to the basics, um, when fruit are harvested, they undergo chemical changes that lead them to deteriorate. So could you explain how temperature in the storage environment influences that deterioration? Well, with regard to the storage temperature in the environment, the general principle, general principle would be that uh, deterioration will be slowed uh, when you get the pears or apples as cool as possible. I note that word as cool as possible, or maybe more specifically as, as appropriate for the apple or pear variety. And that slows down the metabolism in the apple and pear. And as a consequence, the um, storage life is, is lengthened. But as we will find out in the discussion, it's it's got a lot of subtle details with regard to temperature that um, we have to appreciate. Right. So it, it kind of, you know, by slowing down metabolism, it's slowing, uh, slowing down the respiration rate. And then that has some, um, you know, benefits with reducing softening, water loss, that kind of thing. Yeah. Good. That's right. So how about um, gases and moisture? Um, how do they influence deterioration as well? Really? A trying to answer well, why do we end up using what we call control atmosphere, which would be controlling the gases. But we learned uh, many decades ago that apples and pears um, slow down their metabolism. If we can take away most or all of the oxygen and perhaps allow some of the carbon dioxide to increase, which would, coming, would be coming from the respiration of the apples and pear fruit. 
And that uh, combination, we'll call it control atmosphere and the storage, um, did wonders for the uh, quality and storage life of apples and pear varieties uh, because it uh, further slowed down the metabolism. And also there's the uh, ripening gas ethylene. And it turns out that the modification to the gases also reduced the production of the ethylene. And it will also reduce the um, activity of the ethylene that may show up in a CA room. Now, uh, moisture, that is not as obvious. And uh, I think a lot of people still may not appreciate the uh, moisture content in the CA room. Uh, there's a general belief that uh, you should have the moisture as high as possible. Um, that may be good, especially if you have a variety that tends to lose a lot of moisture and shrivels. That would be the corky varieties, corky skin varieties. They tend to lose more moisture. That may help with uh, getting high moisture, uh, but invariably the moisture never gets above a certain level that's allowed by the functioning of the refrigeration system. Because every time you turn your refrigeration system on to uh, maintain the temperature, it actually uh, dehumidifies the air a bit. So you never get 100%. Uh, it's more like 93, 94% at, at one degree Celsius as a standard example of a temperature. So it's generally believed you have the moisture uh, high to keep the fruit crisp and avoid the shriveling. Truth is that the shriveling really doesn't show up until you get maybe 4% weight loss. Uh, one and 2% weight loss really is not a bad thing and maybe a good thing. I suspect that we could have another talk just on that. <laughs> <laughs> In addition to the temperature, I might mention a few things later on in this this interview about uh, the role of uh, air moisture. Sure. So uh, could you next uh, explain the main differences between refrigerated atmosphere, uh, controlled atmosphere, and then dynamic controlled atmosphere storage? Sure. Um, refrigerated atmospheres, it's sometimes shortened to the two letters RA. Some people mean say it means refrigerated atmospheres. Some might call it regular air, same two initials, uh, but is essentially just refrigerating the air like a standard cold room refrigeration environment. The atmosphere in terms of gases are still the ambient oxygen and CO2. There's no effort other than just controlling temperature. Uh, control atmospheres roughly uh, getting the oxygen down to 1%. 1.5. Well, actually, I should say 2%. I'll, I'll be more specific. Control atmosphere traditionally may be low of 2% oxygen and maybe 3 to 5% CO2. There's another one there. It's just below that. The Europeans have coined a thing called ultra low oxygen, which was in vogue in the 1980s. They still use it a bit. It's ULO for short, ultra low oxygen. That would be dropping the oxygen between 2% down to 1%. And then um, that would still be under control atmosphere. The final one there is that uh, thing called dynamic control atmosphere. That came in, in the last 20 years. And um, that's when we discovered from my lab and a few labs in Europe that indeed we could get below 1%, which was always considered the lowest one should ever do, go in oxygen, never go below 1%. Um, but we found that we had... Uh, with our technologies to develop our lab um, and a few places in Europe, uh, means to get the oxygen down below 1%, along with a corresponding drop in CO2. We have examples in the industry worldwide of oxygen as low as, get this, 0.2% oxygen. 
that's essentially nothing. That was unheard of until we developed the dynamic control atmosphere storage. And there seems to be a value added. You know, it it even slows the deterioration more, stops response to ethylene. So there's a lot of um, empirical information in the industry that enhances the pack out. And, And interestingly, the flavor profile is actually quite good. Great. Uh, You've already hinted that apple cultivars uh, respond differently to different temperatures. So if you were to categorize those apple cultivars based on their storage temperature recommendations, uh, what kind of categories become apparent to you? I'll try and explain before I give you the answer that what I come up with is based on gathering information over a number of years from published and unpublished sources into a huge database. we don't have a way of actually testing a, a variety and find out what its happy temperature is. It's more or less trial and error. And uh, so I've gathered this huge database of what specialists and industry people around the world have said is the appropriate temperature for varieties of apples and varieties of pears. I put them all together and um, came up with average recommendations for each variety. And uh, the number of recommendations can be as high as well over 35 in the case of gala apples and golden delicious. So there's quite a number of values in some of these varieties when I did the calculation. When I looked at the mean values, I have to say mean because there'd be a range of temperatures for any particular variety, depending on where I got the information from. When I looked at the mean values, I decided that there's really just two categories for apples in terms of temperature requirement. Uh, the first is the varieties of apples that I would I've called chilling tolerant. They can be stored at temperatures below one Celsius. The other category I've called uh, chilling sensitive. These are apples on with average temperatures above one Celsius in the database. Having said that, there, for any one variety, there might be a range of temperatures for that variety that span that, but on average. Um, it, it will fall into one of those two categories when I put the numbers together for a specific variety. Moving over to pears for a moment. Pears don't have that um, chilling sensitivity. It's get them as cold as possible without freezing. And across most of the varieties of pears, we're talking about slightly uh, below zero Celsius, down to about minus one, depending on the variety. So it's a narrow range, and that's been more or less the same um, all along. There might be a few varieties that are quite a bit fussy on getting down there. With apples, it's definitely obvious that there's some varieties that are not very happy if you have them below one Celsius. So as an example, like Honeycrisp and Macintosh, they would be chilling sensitive. So you are so right. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll just put in a little uh, comment that the progeny from those would also inherit some of that sensitivity. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's good to know. And so right. s- some that are chilling tolerant would be like delicious and gala. Yes. Uh, the old varieties that would be falling into that would be, as you said, the delicious, or as they sometimes call red delicious, and that other one, uh, gold delicious. And gala and other varieties are really just the progeny of, of golden delicious. Anything with golden delicious tends to have that a nice uh, chilling tolerance that golden delicious has. Same with the red delicious. Yeah, good summary. Are the chill-sensitive cultivars more likely sensitive to immediate chill cooling? Yes, uh, it seems from my categorization that uh, the Lebrise list in that sensitive group, that is, they don't like going below one degree Celsius. 
on average, you know, I keep saying on average, their, their mean value is above one Celsius. Uh, they tend to be showing a lot of varieties in that list that also don't like to be rapidly chilled. You know, you have to be more gentle. This is an interesting development because 20 years ago, it was almost a given that across all varieties of apples, you push them to get as cold and chilled as fast as you could. And uh, that has changed to this gradual cooling, especially with this group of varieties that are sensitive to chilling. Even if your final temperature is still above one Celsius, you don't want to get there within a few days. You have to stretch it out over weeks. Do temperature recommendations differ for the refrigerated atmosphere, controlled atmosphere, and the dynamic controlled atmosphere storage? The short answer is it seems yes. Uh, again, looking at the database, I found a number of recommendations that included both a temperature for uh, refrigerated and another temperature for controlled atmosphere. Uh, not so many uh, people have um, changed the recommendation for dynamic controlled atmosphere because it's a relatively recent thing. When I looked at the, the numbers for refrigerated temperature versus controlled atmosphere temperature, I found that indeed there was a slight elevation in the recommended temperature if you moved to a control atmosphere from a refrigerated atmosphere condition. And it actually conforms to what was anecdotally recommended decades ago. Roughly, I'll, I'll simplify it on average about an increase of one Celsius degree if you went to a control atmosphere uh, condition. And I have seen some dynamic control atmosphere people who've researched it and they're moving that temperature even higher than what the control atmosphere recommendation would be and getting very good results. I think the limit will be no more than maybe four to five Celsius. I think after that, it's um, the benefits don't seem to be showing up in research, but boy, pushing the temperature up one Celsius when you go to control atmosphere and even a bit higher, that's a, a measurable savings in refrigeration costs. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Are there any other advantages to running warmer temperatures? Essentially, it's an avoidance of certain disorders. But again, that's kind of the general keeping quality being a bit higher up to, as I said, maybe a four or five degrees Celsius cap. Um, you can avoid the onset of uh, some of these um, chilling injury type in uh, disorders that show up in, in some of these varieties. And uh, the firmness is uh, as good or better than if you run it colder. Essentially, the quality and the disorder th uh, factors that are um, improved, well, again, within the limits. <laughs> Does the storage temperature affect the recommended oxygen or carbon dioxide in storage? Yes. Um, I believe it does. Again, I'm going back to the database and looking at what people recommended. If they change the temperature, if there's a temperature difference, was their recommendation for oxygen, the recommendation of CO2, different? When I plotted that out where there was enough data points for some of these varieties, I observed something interesting. And in the first thing, it doesn't seem to matter what when you change the temperature, your oxygen requirement recommendation didn't shift. It doesn't seem to matter in terms of oxygen. However, when you look at the CO2 recommendation, it's an interesting um, interaction. If um, the storage recommendation for temperature is dropped, the CO2 recommendation also dropped. And I'll say, depending on the sensitivity of that variety to CO2, 
which we won't go into detail today, but some varieties just don't like CO2. In that case, those varieties, you're scrubbing out CO2 at a high temperature, it's still the same at a low temperature. Now I turn to looking at some varieties that are tolerant to CO2. It looks like that tolerance to CO2 drops if you drop the temperature in the storeroom below two down to one Celsius. When you push that temperature out to that or below, those tolerant CO2 varieties suddenly become intolerant. And I think a lot of listeners will understand when I say quite often uh, we see what we'll call um, intolerances to low temperature and it looks a lot like CO2 damage. Well, yes, there is obvious evidence that lowering the temperature uh, for CO2 tolerant varieties means you should also lower the CO2 if it's a tolerant variety to CO2. Okay, thank you for that. So uh, let's move into talking more about relative humidity. Could you explain that relationship between temperature and relative humidity? This is something researchers in the industry has, we've never really been able to appreciate the importance of relative humidity, but I've done a lot of uh, gathering of publications over the last 50 to 80 years, and there's an interesting narrative there. Um, so I'll try and explain the relative humidity in the storeroom will be um, influenced by how much moisture comes off the fruit and it'll also be influenced by how much moisture in that air comes into the storeroom from an open door while it's being filled or uh, from um, gas flushing in and out during a controlled atmosphere environment. Just in basic um, principle, a higher temperature air can hold more water vapor. If you drop that air temperature, its capacity to hold water vapor drops. So as you cool the air in the room, or um, in any case, the, the moisture will literally fall out of the air and form liquid water. Maybe if I can um, try and describe it, let's say today is uh, about 18 Celsius, I'll make that up. And I took a look and the relative humidity today is in the air today is somewhere around 60%. That's roughly a dew point of uh, 60% of, of 18. You know, it's about, uh, I think it's actually less than, I think it's about nine Celsius dew point. Okay, now I'm gonna talk about dew point temperature. So anything that has a dew point temperature of nine Celsius today, you will see condensation on that surface. And if there's an apple in the room that's nine Celsius and the air in the room is higher than that in terms of um, humidity, it will condense onto the surface of that nine Celsius apple. Well, we've talked about temperatures of apples and pears being less than five down to gosh, zero Celsius. So that apple or pear is actually a dew point surface that uh, will condense water out of the air if the dew point is higher than that. Indeed, our air through the fall harvest season in this climate, there's day after day where the outside air is way higher than that. So they are getting inside a room of cold fruit will end up uh, condensing moisture onto the surface. Well, at first glance you think, well, what's the harm? Uh, well, any liquid water on the surface actually uh, as an extra barrier to gas exchange in and out of the of the apple or pear. Any water in that surface also could encourage uh, decay. And finally, uh, any moisture that lingers there can actually get in and actually split the fruit. 
at this time of the year, we still have a lot of humidity in the air. What I've just described isn't going to happen in the middle of the dead of winter when the outside air is bone dry. <laughs> but right now, um, it's and a lot of people know the first two or three months of storage, the apples and pears are quite sensitive to any um, carbon dioxide. And in fact, in my huge database, I have noticed in some of the um, more sophisticated uh, industries, they are recommending that while you fill the room, you scrub the CO2, and they also say run your refrigeration to um, condition the air. And that may be what um, we should talk about is that the refrigeration, as we know, when we uh, air condition our homes that, or our car, it actually dehumidifies the air. And I believe that those industries have figured out that while you're filling the room, you do two things. You dehumidify the air a bit, and you also scrub any CO2 that's coming off the fruit. Uh, if you let that uh, CO2 build, not a good thing, especially if the uh, humidity is high and you get the uh, humidity condensing onto the cold fruit. You have a dew point surface on the, of the fruit. It gets a, a film of microscopic film of water on it. So run the refrigeration to, quote, dehumidify the air as much as you can. If you're wondering how to, how to measure this, well, if you take a bottle of water out of your home refrigeration, which is at five Celsius, and put it in the room, and if you see condensation on the bottle of water, that means the dew point's at five Celsius. If you take a, a glass of um, ice water, which is zero Celsius, and put it in, that's even more stringent, if you see condensation that, well, then you know the dew points at zero Celsius or above. That would be almost like a fake apple or pear. So that would be a warning sign that you have apples and pears that could, if they're at five Celsius or less, uh, become dew point surfaces and accumulate water. You may not see it. It won't be dripping, but it's there in a microscopic form. Okay, so the door's open and you're filling the room and uh, there are recommendations out there to run the refrigeration and to scrub the CO2 to help. Yes, yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, people say, well, what? well, they've obviously by empirical trial and error figured out that they get better pack out. And, uh, you know, if you're filling a room, I'm struggling with how to, uh, I would say, do it all at once. If you fill room and then next day you fill, no, sorry, you put some in today and you go back tomorrow, the dew point is still high in the outside air. Well, in that day two, you're bringing in more fruit with more outside air. Uh, if you're going to do it, do it all at once. Get the uh, room shut so that the refrigeration can pull down dehumidified as much as possible. And I, I'm not, people say, well, you're going to dry out the fruit. And I said, well, I've looked at the literature and there is evidence in the literature that yes, you will perhaps maybe get one or 2% uh, weight loss. Actually, you won't even notice that in, in the fruit. And uh, it, they've discovered that those fruit are actually still better than if you had being uh, aggressively humidifying it. I'm not too worried if you do run the uh, refrigeration and you think it's costing you well, I think it's what it's worth considering, especially if you see a lot of humidity in the air. In our our kind of northern climate, that's more likely than if we're in a dry desert type climate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So uh, there's also the case where storage room might struggle to maintain high relative humidity. So why, what are some reasons why that might be the case? If the room will equilibrate on its own, the moisture uh, coming off the fruit will eventually come to a certain fixed humidity in the room. I'm not too worried if you are, are wanting higher humidity, you can perhaps take a look at how dry your bins were. What I'm trying to say there is that there's some good evidence that if you're using wood bins and they're bone dry wood, and you bring those in, they're actually uh, sink and will take humidity out of the air. Literally, uh, in the case of the study of the Netherlands, for five, six weeks, it, it will keep the air humidity below what it, what it could possibly be. So, um, you know, you could, if you're worried about um, having um, too low humidity, you could make sure that the wood of your wood bins is not bone dry. <laughs> you can put water on the floor, but that will just simply build the moisture up to a certain point where the cooling coils will stop any further buildup because they will just cool it, um, condense it, and drain that uh, out as condensate off the cooling coils. You know, it'll only go up to, as I said, 92, 93% at about one Celsius degrees. And also the design of the whole system matters too, right? Like the, the size of the evaporator coil needs to be. Oh, yeah. 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 What we're talking about, the way to do, to talk about that is to talk about the temperature difference. A small evaporator coil has to run colder. So that ends up with a, a greater temperature difference between the air and the coil. Um, if you up your surface area for your evaporator coil, um, you um, can let the moisture in the air build up to the maximum possible at that temperature. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So going back to your comment about bins, um, growers and packers, some of them are making the switch from wooden bins to plastic bins. So will the change in material have an influence on um, like the control of temperature and humidity in storage? The change isn't exactly harmless. There could be a switch in the amount of um, issues re revolving around too much humidity or, uh, well, with the plastics neutral, it doesn't give more moisture to the air. It doesn't take moisture out of the air. So uh, with the plastic bin, the fruit going in, that room will probably reach the maximum um, humidity level real quick compared with a wood bin that perhaps is dry. Um, the wood bin... Uh, in a dry state will actually dehumidify for a, a good number of weeks at the beginning of storage. And having said that, as I kind of warned already, it may be that little dehydration is actually to the good that, you know, the wood bins may be in a dry state, may be helping out in the first few weeks as a passive dehumidifier. Uh, the appeal with plastic, of course, is that, you know, it's, um, you can use them for more, more years. Um, and of course you can keep them cleaner by, um, washing them up, whereas wood bins, you know, they tend to get quite dirty and, and hold decay organisms. So, um, you know, that's, that's true. But when we talk about the humidification issues, there's more going on with the wood bin, whereas plastic is pretty well inert. Yeah. Okay. So we're changing some of the variables. So exactly. Might, might yeah. expect to see some different responses. Yeah. Yes. How about some common misconceptions? Is there anything you want to address regarding temperature, gases, or, or moisture in storage? 
Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, not to answer your question, but I always try to make sure when I talk about things like this, I always try to say, please make sure you, a uh, storage operator, consults with the local expert. That prevails because you heard me say in this presentation, you know, the temperature um, will be influenced by another a number of other factors, you know, the, the, one of which is the growing area. And one thing we didn't touch on is um, the growing conditions, which be more in your wheelhouse. Um, during the growing season, that sets up the fruit in subtle ways that the storage operator has to be aware of. So talking and listening to the horticulturalist and, and, and finding out more about what was going on during the growing season, that's another factor that um, quite often post-harvest people take a look at, but they don't always go far enough back into the growing season to appreciate where what happened to that batch of fruit before it even showed up at, this, at the uh, packing house. For instance, there, and I mentioned that in my chapter, as you probably noticed, there is a general belief that if your growing conditions are cooler than normal, you will end up with more problems in storage. The fruit tend, believe it or not, tend to be more chilling sensitive and show more chilling type disorders in storage. If the growing conditions have been cooler than normal. You know, that's a very generic statement. And, I've, and I think in, uh, I even noticed someone talking about Honeycrisp and saying uh, that they're seeing in this year, not in our Nova Scotia climate, but in another area where the growing conditions in early part of the season were cooler than normal. They are already seeing disorders in the fruit, Honeycrisp fruit, while the fruit were still on the tree. And they're blaming it on cool conditions in May and June. So um, there's importance there to kind of crosstalk between the horticultural people uh, and what was done during the growing season and uh, what's going on, uh, how that affects your storage decisions. Another thing, good old fruit size, uh, fruit high, larger fruit didn't have more problems. Uh, bad calcium management, during the growing season, leaves uh, the fruit in weak condition and will show all kinds of calcium related uh, disorders in storage. Um, bad pest management, um, you end up with more wounds, uh, some of it's sometimes subtle, uh, that's going to cause problems. So there's a lot of interactions going on. Sometimes it takes a lot of um, many years of experience, uh, Michelle, to understand how a certain block is behaving and why <laughs> and a packing house manager always tracks the behavior in storage and looks back at how that that block was managed yeah, yeah. seems like there's still a lot to learn and climate change is probably going to throw some wild cards at oh. us too <laughs> oh yes <laughs> well yeah. even uh you know we're talking uh you know high temperatures uh when we have the old standard size trees there's lots of shade in those in that configuration. Now we have um, smaller um, dwarfing uh, uh, structures, more of the fruit is exposed to the sun, more likely to get sunburn and other high temperature issues. And sometimes historically, certain blocks behave certain ways, some of which we don't necessarily understand, but 
uh, good managers will always have good traceability. Looking at the packout, looking back through the whole uh, sequence right from um, bloom right through to see if something uh, is being done. So uh, you've shared a lot of uh, information today, but where can listeners uh, find more information? Um, you, you've got a recent book called uh, Controlled Atmosphere Storage of Apples and Pears. Is that right? Yes. Uh, I guess because I was constantly getting the same questions and I was constantly rewriting the same answer. I got to put this all together before I forget it all. Uh, and uh, yeah, so if they're interested in getting a copy, um, my email address is rkprang at gmail.com. That's my personal email. Great. I'll put that in the show notes as well. And uh, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Uh, excellent chat and really appreciated having you here. Well, thanks for your interest. Follow me on Twitter at NS Treefruit and follow Perennia on Facebook and Twitter at NS Perennia. Thanks to Perennia for storing information in the podcast space. Thank you to Patty Ryan for her marketing management. And thank you to growers for their chill approach to getting answers. Here's a fun fact. I dedicate an entire crisper drawer in my fridge to apples. Fridges should have more crispers. I'm always shocked to see apples on household countertops because they're a sure way to lose quality.